Good morning. It's uh, my privilege to be here today, my first opportunity to speak in chapel here at Tyndale. I guess it took a couple of years for people to get enough confidence here to invite me. Um, as um, George mentioned, uh, I, um, before coming here to Toronto a couple of years ago, I actually lived in Argentina. We, uh, my wife and I were missionaries in Latin America for 26 years and moved here from Buenos Aires. Uh, and so winters are hard. <laughs> and, you know, this is not my favorite time of the year, but being here, I just uh, feel a lot warmer. So thank you for, for the warmth that uh, I feel here. I'm with my colleague, Kevin Chan, who is actually finishing up his MDiv here at Tyndale. He is, uh, has done everything he can to procrastinate to take his Greek intensive. And with that, he will become officially divine, right? Uh, and Kevin is, uh, uh, among other things in our church, uh, leads the young adults group. And I hope that some of you, since we're just right around the corner, uh, Monday nights we have a vibrant young adults uh, gathering uh, led by Kevin and other leaders there. And I hope that after we're finished, uh, you might come up and uh, if you're interested, talk to Kevin about that. And uh, we'd love to uh, see you be a part of that. Or on Sundays, uh, hey, I've got to be a pastor, right? Invite everybody to church. So uh, we're just, just uh, if you don't know where we are, maybe you're new to the area, just down Bayview and hang a right. And there we are. And Bayview Glen Church, a church uh, in great need of revival. A church with a, a legacy that needs a new legacy in the Spirit of God. We're learning to pray. We're looking to Him. And just thankful to the Lord to, uh, to be where we are today. Uh, let me uh, say that I understand that as you begin the semester, anybody in syllabus shock here? Beginning of the semester, I mean, I was kind of thinking this is kind of good because it's not later in the semester and everybody's not not zombied yet. But you know, maybe with syllabus shock, you're, you you do, do do that here, syllabus, yeah, shock and all that. Okay, well, um, I understand that this is the beginning of a series on what are you calling it? Great passages in the Bible, the most well-known passages. Now, for those of you who are who are uh, studying homiletics, you're learning to preach. Uh, you know, there are two different kinds of passages that strike terror in the heart of every preacher. Uh, one, on the one end, is a passage that uh, is really somewhat difficult to interpret. And, of course, if uh, the hardest book in the Bible to preach and probably a book you've never heard a sermon from is Song of Solomon. You know, so just wait the day you get, it, you get a, a, an assigned text from the Song of Solomon. But then the other, the other type of passage that really strikes terror in a, in a preacher's heart is when he gives them a, a passage that everybody knows. In fact, I would suppose that some of you know this particular verse better than I do. And it can be argued that it's the most famous verse in the Bible. Have you any idea? John 3.16. Why don't, why don't we just say John 3.16 and whatever version you learned it in, okay? I mean, in my generation, I'm going to be a little bit different from the younger, and maybe you learned it in another language. 
Go ahead, your whatever language you learned it in. All right, let's do it together. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think there are about 20 different versions out there. But we, it all sounds the same. It all has the same core meaning. Now, when I was in college, some time ago, undergraduate, there became famous here in North America a tall young man who would show up at sporting events, nationally televised. Okay, you're showing your age if you know this guy. All right? Had handlebar mustache, beard, tall guy, and a, a multicolor Afro wig. All right? Like, I don't know how many colors. Red, yellow, green, all these colors. He would, I don't know how this guy did it, he would stand right where the camera was focused. If it was in a golf tournament, he would figure out how to get in just the right position where you're focusing on the guy teeing off, and this guy with this Afro wig, multicolored, be back there. Or if it was in a football game, you know, they're kicking this winning field goal, he'd be right, right in between the goalposts, you know, behind there. And... And, and what really marked this guy wasn't his, his Afro wig. It was that he would hold up this sign for everybody to see on national TV, millions and millions of people. They said John 3.16. John 3.16. And anyone who lived old enough to remember 70s or 80s and watched sports, you probably saw this guy, Rollins Stewart, Sometime or another. Whatever happened to Rollins Stewart? Anybody know? Rollins Stewart today is in federal prison serving three consecutive life sentences for kidnapping. He had John 3.16 on the poster. He had John 3.16 posted on millions of TV sets in the world. He had John 3.16 on a t-shirt. But somewhere along the line, he did not follow Christ. I'm not going to put his salvation in question. I don't know the gentleman. And even if I did, I don't know his heart. But the point I want to make is that Perhaps you memorized John 3.16 when you were a child. Some of you, maybe, you never memorized in your life. You will while you're here at Tyndale, I suppose. You can have it memorized. You can have it in all the different versions you want and in different languages. But until you know Christ, John 3.16 is not going to do you much good. Let me give you a little quiz. What is the first word? Think about it before you say it. In most English versions, in John 3.16. Four. Now you might say, what? okay, what's the big deal? Well, when, when 
a sentence begins with that word, uh, and it's present, actually, two term, two words in the Greek, but in most English versions, it's one word, for. It is referring to what came before. And in John chapter 3, it starts off with the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus and Jesus telling him, you must be born again. So it's all about spiritual rebirth. And then just right before John 3, 16, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent or the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up and everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, if you haven't taken Old Testament survey yet, you know, the serpent in the wilderness, it happened because Moses with the people of Israel, they were complaining. It was terrible. And God sent a plague of serpents and to heal the people, God commanded Moses to, to create a, a bronze serpent that was held up on a stake and everyone who saw that snake lifted up and gazed upon it would be healed from that their snake bites. And Jesus says in the same way, the Son of Man has to be lifted up. John 3.16 is about the Son of Man, Jesus, being lifted up. It's about him being lifted up on the cross in dying for you and for me. For God so loved the world. Love by itself will not save anyone. This is the great mistake of our modern age when people believe that because God is love, that is a verse in the Bible, therefore he would never allow anyone to go into an eternity apart from him or suffer a conscious torment for he's love, but love alone will not save someone. Love has to be acted upon. We know from the scriptures that the wages of sin is death. Someone had to die because we all have sinned. And that one who died is the one in John 3.16 that God sent because he loved the world so much. He loved so much, he sent his one and only son. He gave him. Now, we just got finished with Christmas. And I'm sure you heard a Christmas message while you were in your church back home. And we all talk about the incarnation. And uh, God gave his son in the incarnation, sending him to be born of a virgin as we recited in the Nicene Creed, which I learned in another version, but it's okay, more modern English. But uh, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. That's the Incarnation. God gave his son, but not only did he give his son in the incarnation, he gave his son when he died on the cross. He died for our sins, for yours and for mine. It's interesting that in the King James, as when I was young and learned this verse, 
It was God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And yet modern versions like the New International Version get that begottenness right when, says, when it's, they read, he gave his one and only son. That is the uniqueness of Christ. John 3.16 is saying there is only one son of God. Of course, we live in a day and age where we say, well, we're all children of God. And yes, we are all created in the image of God. But there is one unique, eternal Son of God who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is He unique in His relationship with God, He is unique in that He is the only way to God. <laughs> now this flies in the face of political correctness today. Because people say, well, whatever you think is true, that will get you to God, or if you're sincere in your own religion. And of course, today we live in a multicultural, pluralistic society. We live side by side with people of every religion and people of no religion. And to speak of the uniqueness of Christ is to invite hatred, is to invite the charge of intolerance. You who are younger have been raised in a culture of tolerance, so much so that you hesitate to talk about the uniqueness of Christ. You've been taught that every religion is to be respected. Yes, it is to be respected, but that doesn't mean that every religion is true. John 3.16 says there's only one way to God, through the one and only Son of God. In His Son, the Lord Jesus, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What do you do with the words of Jesus? You will be tempted. You will be tempted to compromise John 3.16. And you will be tempted to recite it as God so loved the world that he gave his son. And just go like that. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No, it's his only begotten son. It's his one and only son. There is no one else like Jesus. No one else like Jesus. No one else who died and rose again from the dead like Jesus. No one else who today is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. No one else who is above every name that is named no one else who is coming again in glory and who will reign upon the earth. No one else who will judge the living and the dead, as we recited today. No one else but Jesus. John 3.16 ought to be for you every time you recite it. Every time you read it, it ought to be for you an affirmation of faith. There is one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. God loved the world. And if he loved the world, he loves you. How many people today are 
feeling like there's no way God can love me. Some of us who are in ministry, we suffer from this as well. We make mistakes. We commit sins. We think thoughts that we hope no one will ever find out. And yet in the midst of that, it's through the Lord Jesus that we know that God loves us. We didn't love him first. Some people, I've heard people say, oh, I've always loved God. Everybody loves God. Well, no, everybody doesn't love God. In fact, Jesus said that the world hates him. Hates him. This is love, not, John wrote later in 1 John, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us and to be the atoning sacrifice for us. That's love. It's not simply sentimental nostalgia or some sense of being in his presence, but love is God giving his son to die for you and for me. And he had to do that because of the desperate state that we are all in. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, has said, and I paraphrase, you are more desperately sinful and separated from God than you could ever imagine. And yet, you are more deeply loved by God than you ever dared to hope. Ever dared to hope the love of God who sent his son that we might not perish. Life is relationship with God. To perish is to be separated from him. This eternal life is found in the son. He who has the son has life. And how do you lay hold of this life? How do you lay hold of the Son, the Son of God? John 3, 16. Whosoever believes. It's not just intellectual assent. James says that you believe, well, well done. The demons believe and tremble. It's not just to assent to the facts of the gospel. It's not just to know intellectually the truths of Scripture, but it is to trust Christ as your only Lord and Savior. Your great danger in seminary and in biblical studies and theological studies is that you reduce the Christian life to a series of doctrinal propositions and theological truths and yet not know Christ. I want to encourage you today, John 3.16, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever, if you believe in him, you will not perish. You will have eternal life. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here with my brothers and sisters. Take home to our hearts the truth of John 3.16. First, that we might everyone come to know you and then that we might proclaim your glories. In all the earth, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.